consider myself fortunate that at the James, we had people in leadership who understood the importance of what I was doing and what, what the other supportive care staff were doing and what we were bringing to the patients. And they worked tirelessly to figure out ways to make it safe for us to be with our patients during that time. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Terrell Jackson, who leads the James Music Therapy Program. Music therapy provides cancer patients and their caregivers with creative and interactive guided musical experiences that teach them the tools they need to improve their quality of life during stressful times. We'll also talk about how Terrell adapted and improvised and how she came up with ways to go virtual without skipping a beat during the pandemic. And we might also have a music therapy session as part of this podcast. Thanks for joining us, Terrell. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Terrell, let's start a little bit with your background. I'm very curious how you came to discover and and make your career out of musical therapy. And then also what exactly is music therapy? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a kind of interesting story. I say that music therapy chose me, but I didn't choose music therapy. And the reason I say that is because I started playing instruments at a young age, but I also became interested in science and healthcare at a young age. So eventually it became time to think about college, think about what I wanted to do for a career. And the original plan was to study biology and then eventually apply to medical school. But I was feeling conflicted because I wasn't quite prepared to give up or switch off the music side of myself. And I was fortunate that someone with the with the no and and who was close to me, a band director at the time said, you know, Terrell, you don't have to do one or the other. You could do both. You could do music and healthcare. You can participate in healthcare in a way that allows you to use music. And so that was how I came to music therapy, which is a kind of therapy where we're using music exercises in order to help people with goals that are not musical. So we can talk about examples of, of some of those exercises today, if you like. Um, but that's yeah, sort but, of in a nutshell. That's it. Yeah. Okay. But first, a couple questions came to mind. What you said you played instruments with a, a plural. How many different instruments do you play? Oh, boy. Uh, so trumpet was my principal instrument from the time I was 10 until I finished undergraduate. Uh, during that time, you also start to learn guitar and piano. You have to train in voice. Those are the three main instruments that we have to study for music therapy school. And then if you play trumpet, you usually also play flugelhorn and cornet and then some of the smaller trumpets like piccolo trumpet or soprano trumpet. And so uh, there were there were quite a lot. I tell people, though, if you can learn to play one instrument, you can learn to play the other ones. If you can learn to swim one stroke, you can learn to swim the other ones. And so I'm I'm always adding more instruments. It's it's quite an enjoyable an enjoyable thing. Yeah, that's what Michael Phelps says. If you can swim one stroke, you can swim all. But he's Michael Phelps and, and you're Terrell Jackson. So it's not as easy as you. I think you make it sound. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a thing you learn to do. Michael Phelps can give me a call. We can talk okay. have his people talk to my people. So and um, also what came to mind is that music therapy may not be something that goes back 40, 50, 60 years, that it might be a relatively new type of therapy. Yeah, yeah. 
That is about how long formal music therapy does go back. Some of the first references to music therapy as a bona fide clinical service come from the early 1800s, late 1700s, which, by the way, was a very interesting time in medical history, if you're interested in a Google hole for later. But um, <laughs> it was also a time when we were trying to be more standardized in how we were preparing uh, care for people, how we were preparing healthcare professionals. And so if we fast forward a couple decades later, uh, think World War One, World War Two. we're finally starting to appreciate the idea of post-traumatic stress in soldiers who come back from war. And in the veterans hospitals where music volunteers were allowed, people started noticing that the soldiers had less depression, less of what we would consider a trauma response or a trauma distress. They were leaving the hospitals sooner. And so the decision was made that we need to try and make this a service that is formally available for the people that we're taking care of because it is helping. And the field just sort of followed from there and grew from there to the point where now we have degree programs all the way up to a doctoral level degree. There's lots of different areas within healthcare where music therapists work. And I am very fortunate to be part of that here at the James. Yes, part of it and the leader of it. And it sounds like initially, and this might be a, a misperception people have, it's just listening to music is soothing and that's the therapy. But as it's advanced over the years, and I'm sure you're about to tell us, there's just so many more steps and techniques to make it so much more effective. Oh, for sure. My response to that would be yes and. So <laughs> okay. music, music is quite soothing. It can have benefits such that it makes us feel better or helps us live better. But now imagine taking that and tweaking it so that we're able to get even more of a response, even more benefit, even more specific benefits to help people in ways that are really crucial as they're experiencing something like a cancer experience. Where there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress, potentially, a lot of changes that have to be coped with, a lot of pain, potentially. There are just a lot of points of intervention where we can be really useful in trying to help with reducing the suffering that people might experience and helping them to have as smooth and as comfortable an experience as possible. So let's start with, I know there's a, a lot of different elements to what you do, but I believe, and from what I think you've told me before, that two of the main ways are one-on-one uh, -on -one inpatient um, sessions, and then workshops for groups of people, for cancer patients and their caregivers. Let's start with these one-on-one -on -one sessions for people who are patients at the James. Kind of, how does that work? So if a patient is referred by their team for music therapy, I will physically come to their room, meet with them in person, we talk a little bit about what the team had in mind when they signed the person up for the music therapy. We talk about what music therapy is. We try and talk about what the person might be comfortable with, what they might be interested in. And then we actually try out some of the music therapy techniques to help them make a decision about whether this is something they want as part of their care. From there, we can make repeat visits, go back to the room, actually work on the techniques that we decided to work on and talk about progress towards whatever goals we set during the initial, the initial meeting. So what would, once someone agrees and wants to be part of this, what would be an example of a part of a, a session you would do with a, a patient? 
One thing I like to focus on a lot with folks who are still in the hospital receiving treatment is focused attention. This idea that we are thinking about a thing we asked ourselves to think to uh, to think about, as opposed to having our minds drag us in a million different directions. This is how we end up with spiraling and racing thoughts, feelings of overwhelm, feelings of increasing anxiety and, and increasing stress. But if we can just practice bringing our attention to one thing at a time for once, there's such a peace and quiet that comes from that makes it so much easier to return to those challenges and face these stressful events in ways where we feel like they wash over us, but we don't drown in them. And so if you're interested, I can actually grab some of the Suzuki chimes and show you a a short example of what I'm talking about when we try and practice these focused attention exercises. Are you interested? You're feeling ambitious? I'm definitely interested. Let's, Let's do it. Now, this is audio only, so I'm going to try to describe these Suzuki chimes. They're almost like wind chimes that you would hang outside your your house. Does that sound about right? I think they kind of look like big tuning forks, like big metal things that you might use to roast marshmallows over the fire. (laughs) And uh, in order to play them, You hold one in your hand and you whip it like a fishing rod. I have three. I'm going to play each one, one at a time, and I'll ask you to tell me which one is your favorite, and then we'll take it from there. So here's option number one. Okay. Here's option number two. Here is option number three. Which one did you like the best? I think I'll go with three. Option number three. All right. You chose D5. D5. That won't be on the test later, so don't worry about it. Oh, I thought it was D4. uh, (laughs) I was just off by one. (laughs) Only a little. See, you uh, you get full credit for that answer. Uh, So what we're going to do with this Suzuki chime is we're going to have you say your name out loud, name one thing that you're grateful for. Then I'm going to ask you to take a very cleansing breath, nice breath. I'm going to flip the chime. We're going to listen to the sound of the chime as the sound floats through the air. And as we concentrate just on the thing that you said you were grateful for. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So you can go ahead and start with your name out loud. Steve Wartenberg, and I'm grateful for my wife, Susan. All right. Take that nice breath. I'm going to up the ante now. I'm going to flip the chime one more time. We'll try again to just concentrate on the thing you said you were grateful for. So we'll go ahead and have that nice breath.
You can think for a moment about how you're feeling now compared to before we tried that. Notice if our minds feel any more clear or quiet or peaceful. We can think about how we might feel if we were to try five or ten rounds of that. If yeah, we were to add more chimes. Yeah, I think that normally in a podcast, my mind is racing, trying to listen and think at the same time. What am I going to ask next? And for mm -hmm. for during that time, I, I didn't have to think of that. I was able to relax mm -hmm. and hopefully going forward as we continue to podcast, I can relax more and listen to you and not think as much about what's next. Just stay in the moment with you. Yeah, it's quite a gift that you can give to yourself once you get really good at practicing using it. So these are the, so the sorts of things that we try and help people learn to do, little practical things. And I'm imagining someone with cancer being treated at the James in, in a room, lying there, there's so much going through your mind. So that opportunity to just for a few minutes here and there to have some quiet in your brain mm -hmm. can mean a lot. Oh, yes. And if the chimes don't work, then I will pull out the ocean drum because no one can resist the ocean drum. I'll tell you about that another time. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to look that everyone Google that later. We'll all see and listen to an ocean drum, somehow mm -hmm. a drum that's going to sound like we're in the middle of the ocean, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's a great example of how with one-on-one -on -one patients, one-on-one uh, -on -one with patients, you can help them and ease some stress and slow down their, their thought process. Let's talk a little now about group sessions. And in the past, before the pandemic, and I attended one a couple of years ago that involved everyone had their own drum. There must have been 40 or 50 people there and it was great. Mm -hmm. So talk about what you hope to accomplish in these uh, workshops or seminars, whatever the right word is. And then later we'll talk about how you've adapted during COVID. Sure. Yeah. So usually what happens is I'll offer a music therapy group that will last for a certain fixed amount of time. So maybe the group runs once per week for four weeks or for six weeks. And each one of those groups will have its own theme with its own goals. So in a group where we are focused a lot on perhaps drumming, we might be working on exercises to help people who experience numbness and tingling or a cold feeling in their hands or maybe even their feet related to their cancer or their cancer treatment. And we will place those drums around the room such that each person has to complete a specific movement pattern in order to play a specific rhythm at a specific time with the rest of the group. And so people get a chance to exercise these movement patterns in a way that feels fun and non-threatening and in a way that feels challenging, but also successful. Because if you're in a group and you're trying to drum together, you can tell by the sound and by the feel if everyone is hitting their marks just right. So you get that extra reinforcement you get that extra enjoyment that we're coming together and making something that sounds and feels bigger than the sum of our individual parts. And we're trying to improve our comfort and our movement patterns at the same time. So that would be an example of a type of group that we might have run before the pandemic when we were all able to gather in a big room with, say, 50 people and different kinds of drums. 
Yeah, that's a great example because peripheral neuropathy, which you talked about, the numbness in your um, hands and feet is, is a side effect of, of breast cancer surgery and some other types of surgery that unfortunately a lot of people get. So there's a tremendous need for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pesky too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Terrell will fill us in on this past year and a half and how she's improvised and changed things around in the midst of COVID. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Terrell Jackson, who leads the James Music Therapy Program. And boy, this has been talking about stress and stressful situations this past year and a half has been stressful for everyone and even maybe even more so for cancer patients. So, and you, <laughs> so give us an idea of how you adapted and, and changed your programs. It has definitely been an adventure and I certainly appreciate everyone who has helped and been patient as I've made these changes and as we've transitioned from in-person offerings to virtual offerings and then to virtual and in-person offerings, uh, the main change being that we had to switch to virtual offerings. So (laughs) um, as we did that, we had to think about how to deliver music therapy in a way where the experience still felt fairly spontaneous and fairly interactive. We had to figure out ways to be able to use music, even though we were in a computer portal. And so some of the things that we had to figure out uh, how to do is to make music instruments out of household materials that patients could use from their homes that still sounded good enough to be used in the therapy. And so You might think of pots and pans for drums. That's the first thing we might have thought of. It turns out those do not sound good in a telehealth portal because they overload the microphone. And then the system will automatically will automatic. hmm. (laughs) The system will automatically mute all the sound until the pots and pans stop. And so we started using things like cereal boxes. Instead, we use things like containers of staples and paper clips for shakers instead of things like maracas that we would have in clinic that people would use. And we switched to more of a focus on recorded music. So we were exploring things like music and storytelling, movie soundtracks. We were looking more at things like guided songwriting and lyric discussion, things that we could do without having to play instruments together. We could instead have a screen share experience where we're both seeing and hearing a certain recorded piece of music or music video at the same time, and then having a guided discussion or a guided creative process around whatever it was that was being shared. Wait, did you say that you did a guided songwriting or lyric writing? Oh, yes. There's been lots of guided songwriting and lyric writing. 
uh, and lyric discussion as well. So for example, today I had appointments with folks who were working on songwriting in order to explore their most treasured personal values. This is a very important theme to explore because when we're talking about managing stress and when we're talking about prioritizing the things that we choose to put up with in our lives, it's important to know what our most cherished personal values are, whether they are healthy or constructive, and whether our thoughts and actions are consistent with those values. So a songwriting is an excellent opportunity to explore that. You can think about what's most important to you. Try and think about thoughts and actions that are consistent with that. Maybe the words you come up with rhyme and fit a lyric scheme. You can record that. We can help patients record that. And they can have a constant reminder of what it is that they're working towards and what it is that they're hoping for when they choose the things that they choose throughout the day. In this way, we're reinforcing the idea that if you choose thoughts and actions that are consistent with your most cherished, most constructive personal values, then any stress that follows from that will feel acceptable and will feel much easier to deal with. Wow. It sounds like that's a great emotional outlet for people and that this is really where the word therapy uh, Mm -hmm. is true. Wow. And uh, and it also sounds like people can choose how how they want to use these tools and how many tools they want to learn and that your job is to give them those tools and teach them how to take them as far as they want to go with them. That's exactly right. I try to be as practical as possible with the things that I teach people to do because the goal is the same regardless of whether we're using a guitar to accomplish a goal or a keyboard to accomplish a goal. If the person has a keyboard at their house, then we're going to try and figure out how to get the goals met using the keyboard because that's what they have. You know, uh, We definitely try and meet people where they are and curate the experience so that it's meaningful for each individual or each participant in the group. They can have that to take with them in a way that feels actionable. Well, so, so you said it earlier that when you had a, m- a multitude of people banging pots, that just didn't work. But it also sounds like you learned and figured out ways to have groups of, I don't even know how many people you had in these workshops. You figured it out. How did it go? And did, how was attendance? Attendance went way up, especially in the first few months of the pandemic when the shutdowns were the most pronounced. That will be stuff for the history books, but it was quite an experience trying to ask people to be patient with us as we were trying to figure out how to deliver the programs. And what I found was that people were quite receptive. They were excited and enthusiastic. They were happy that we were still offering services, especially because they felt like they needed them even more than usual. And we really uh, included the participants in the exploring process. And so uh, we knew that there was a chat feature in the video portal that we might want to try and use. And so at the beginning of one of the workshops, we said, hello, everyone. We're trying to learn the software just like everybody else. We want to try the chat. If you could please tell us what's better in the chat, pancakes or waffles. It was as simple as that. Just type what you think. Or then later on, all right, I'm going to play you two versions of the same song. We're going to have a conversation about which one we think was better. 
We also want to test the chat feature one more time just to make sure everyone's comfortable using it. So when it comes time to talk about the version of the song you like the best, please just please put something in the chat so that we can see that your chat is is working. Please turn your camera on so that we can all feel like we're together in the room. Uh, please don't worry about muting yourself or unmuting yourself. We're going to try this out. We're going to try and leave everyone unmuted so that we can all just talk to one another like we would if we were in the same room together. These were some of the sorts of things that we tried out and they seem to work. <laughs> how did you they do that? When, how did you do that when, cause I know when I've been on zooms with families or friends, when there's a lot of people, it can be hard when a lot of people want to talk at the same time. Did you figure out a system to, to make that work? It happened pretty much organically at the beginning of the workshop. We would say in this context, hello, everyone, we want you to feel like we're together in the room together. And so we're going to try and just leave everyone unmuted so that you can talk to one another. You don't have to figure out the button so that you can unmute yourself to speak. If it turns out to be a train wreck, we will mute everyone again. No worries. We have a safety net, but we're going to just try this. And I think having that permission to make mistakes and to have things fall apart so that other things could fall together was sufficient to help people be comfortable with speaking when they felt like they had something to say or asking one another questions. And we've to this day not had an instance where we had to say, okay, everyone, sorry, this was a bad idea. We're going to mute everything. Everyone's muted. That just hasn't happened. So it's been well, good. I think it's probably because people were so glad to be there and just wanted it to go so well. They were, you know, just, just working hard and, and just, this is going to help me because we're back to doing these podcasts by Zoom because of the the mask requirement, the new mask requirement in Ohio State. So you've mm -hmm. taught me a few things that I can help make our Zoom podcasts better. Yeah, yeah. Just give folks permission to make mistakes and let everyone know we're all in this together. We've and, made mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Embarrassing ones. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, won't yeah. even, I won't ask you about them. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> but it sounds like you provide... you. Your musical music therapy was always important, but in those first few months of the pandemic, when there was a, the big lockdown and cancer patients who are immunocompromised are incredibly careful and more so than everyone else. And not only didn't go out, but probably didn't have people visiting them. You were their portal to their world and, and life. That first few months, you know, you hear people, you hear healthcare workers in the news talking about what that first three or six months was like in hospitals where people were being treated, where people were critically ill and were essentially alone. And I cannot describe to you in words the toll that that potentially takes on people, not just the staff, but especially the people who are in the hospital, they didn't sign up for that. They didn't choose to get cancer during a pandemic. And so, it was hugely, hugely important to be able to be available for people, to give them opportunities to have meaningful, constructive experiences during their admission so that they weren't just lying in bed waiting for the next procedure or watching the news endlessly or watching the clock or um, getting lost in their thoughts. It was so, so important. And I consider myself fortunate that at the James, we had people in leadership who understood the importance 
of what I was doing and what, what the other supportive care staff were doing and what we were bringing to the patients. And they worked tirelessly to figure out ways to make it safe for us to be with our patients during that time. I am incredibly grateful and honored to have had that opportunity and to have been able to be a part of that because it really did make a big, big difference. So you were able to continue the one-on-one sessions with patients throughout the lockdown. Was it in person or all virtual or both there, or what was it? Yeah, there was a short period in the beginning when we were trying to be really careful about conserving PPE or protective personal equipment. Uh, during that time, pretty much everything I did was remote. It was all telehealth. And we had to call patients on the phone and explain to them that we were going to try and do a telehealth today and what time would be a good time. And do they need us to walk them through how to use the bedside tablet or how to open that video on their mobile device. But that only lasted a couple months. We were able to reestablish our supplies and we were back in the hospital and so excited to be there because, again, it's, it was super, super important to give people that human connection, to give people opportunities to really not just be cared for, but feel cared for, feel seen, feel heard, feel like someone understood the extra added layer of challenge that they were facing. Um, and it, I think, was helpful for staff, too, to have that presence on the units helping to, to boost morale and help people have um, the most meaningful or the most constructive experiences that they could given the circumstances. Wow. Well, thank you for figuring it out, figuring out a way to do that during those difficult times. And I'm sure everyone who's, who's been listening to this, particularly people who uh, are in the midst of their cancer journey or uh, caregivers or family and friends are interested, what can people do uh, here in the central Ohio James community if they're interested in uh, one-on-one or your group or workshops? How do they get yeah. involved? Yeah. So there are a couple different ways to go about it. If they want to participate in the virtual workshops to learn more about music therapy or to participate in demos or demonstrations of music therapy, they want to contact our James Care for Life program. That's where they can find out how to sign up. There is no cost for that. There are no restrictions. Anyone who's interested can participate. They just have to register. If a person's interested in one-to-one music therapy, or if they're interested in participating in one of our music therapy groups, then they would contact us at the Cancer Supportive, Cl- Cancer Supportive Care Clinic or talk to whoever their primary care provider is because they will need a referral for that service. Again, it's offered at no cost to the patient, but the referral is required. And so that's the thing that folks will want to talk to their care team about. Terrell, I've been in the James uh, a, a while ago, and quite often there's music concerts going on in the lobby, which is pretty amazing. What what are those programs? We actually have really wonderful music programs outside of the music therapy service. One of them is our Music Care Music Volunteer Program, where musicians volunteer and perform music throughout different parts of the hospital, particularly on the units where the patients are. And we also have our Heather Pick Music Program, which is a concert series that takes place in our main lobby. 
the concerts from that program get live streamed to every television in the entire hospital. Both of those programs are on hold at the moment because of the pandemic, but we're looking forward to those programs getting up and running again, hopefully sooner than later, because those are really impactful programs. We're, we're very excited that we have those available for people. Wow. So I want to uh, follow up and close with my last question. I'm thinking back to when you were, I don't know if it was high school or college, where this band director who first told you about this uh, connection between music and medicine. And back then, could you ever have imagined what you're doing now and the impact you're having on so many people? I certainly hope so. It was the goal all along. <laughs> I came to play. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I um I don't take for granted how how fortunate I am to be in the position that I I am in and to be entrusted with the work that I'm doing. So, uh I would tell high school me, keep going, don't give up. Keep going. You're going to okay. do great. Well, you did do great. And thank you for sharing it. And again, uh, anyone, James Patients and James Community, there's several ways for you to get involved and get to um, meet Terrell either online or in person, hopefully soon. And thank you very much for sharing your great music therapy program. Thanks so much. It's been a, a good opportunity. I had a good time. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.